Good morning, everyone. So good to be here and to see each one of you again. <coughs> I've uh, really enjoyed the service so far. Appreciated the, uh, yeah, just appreciate the time of sharing and, and uh, just the time that we can enjoy uh, hearing from each one. Thank you um, for, I don't know your name, but uh, Thank you for sharing your, your story. We've enjoyed um, having your daughter here with us. This morning, um, I would like to speak about enduring during those difficult times, enduring um, running the race with endurance, and as I, as I prepared for this, I came across a little story that I want to share with you about a man named Cliff Young. And Cliff was an Australian. He lived down under. In Australia, every year they host a, an ultra marathon. Now, some of you are, are into running a little bit. I'm going to say a little bit. Just hang on to the story here. I know, I know some of you run much more than I do. This ultra marathon is it, it's, it's 543 miles long, and it, it runs from the, the town of Sydney in Australia to the town of Melbourne. So... <coughs> It's considered to be one of the most grueling marathons in the world and is typically run by the ultra-athletes that have practiced for years, have probably run numerous normal marathons, which are 26.2 miles. In the year 1983, they are beginning to... The, the race is about to start, and just before it starts, there this older farmer comes in and he he registers to run the race amidst quite a bit of laughing and booing but the the officials actually were a little hesitant to to allow him to enter but he insisted that he he is serious he's here to run the race and he he's wearing uh overall regular jeans and gum boots and so it, it is quite a, a uh, sight. And so they, they allow him to enter. And of course, the spectators, as they start, the, he, he's being booed, and, and their people are actually yelling for the officials to get the old farmer off the track. So typically, the way the race is run, you, you run for approximately 18 hours, sleep for five or six hours, and run some more, and it will take you six or seven days to complete the run, the 543 miles. By the way, 543 miles is a little further than from here to Allegheny Boys Camp. It's about 500 miles or so from Napanee to here. So think about running all the way in. Now, I know chief court is tough, but I think that would be a stretch for you, right? Anyway, Cliff legs way behind the 
front runners, the good athletes. And the, the first day, he's, he's legging way behind, and he, he can't even run right. He kind of has a unique shuffle, and he, it, it's, it's quite a sight. However, Cliff kept moving, and he kept moving, and the first night when the others slept, Cliff didn't think about stopping to sleep, and he kept on running. Cliff won the race a full 10 hours ahead of the next closest runner because he never stopped to sleep. It took him five days, 15 hours, and four minutes to run the race, 543 miles, and he never stopped to sleep. He packed some water and pumpkin seeds. <laughs> and Cliff endured. He won the race. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think that's an amazing feat of endurance. That's five full days, so I didn't even do the math. That's a hundred and how many hours? It would be, what, almost 130 hours of not just not sleeping, but he's actually moving. I don't, I'm assuming he walked some other way. But So this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, we're not going to be talking about running an ultramarathon, but we're going to be talking about running a race. And we often speak of, of life as, as running a race. And in our culture, in our broader society... This, it, it, it has occurred to me that we often, we, we put a lot of emphasis on entering the race. We, we, we teach and we evangelize a lot to, to those who are not in the right race that they need to get in the race. On the contrary, in our Anabaptist subculture, we talk a lot about how to run the race. How, do, how, how are you running? What's your proper gait? Do you have the right shoes on? Are you, are you staging your days and your nights right? Are you stopping to sleep? And, and we put a lot of emphasis on, on, on how we run the race. Maybe to the, to the, to the lack or to, to the exclusion of teaching enough about the beginning and the end of the race. And so I'd like to propose this morning that we put equal weight on, on entering the race and then keeping on until the end. That it's the, it's the, the crown or the prize at the end of the race that provides us with the endurance to keep on during those difficult times. Jesus speaks about this way, this, this track. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. So there's two tracks. There's, there's two races that are being run, and by default, we are running on the easy path. We're running on the wide way, where there's many people running. <clears throat> 
Jesus goes on and says, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So this morning, I would like to, I would like to speak to those of you who, if you are not on the narrow way, if you are not running the right race, but are caught up in the rat race, I would like to challenge you to consider entering the narrow gate and running on the narrow path, the difficult way that leads to life. If you have found yourself on the narrow way, but have stumbled and fallen, and you're not sure whether it's worth getting up, I would like to encourage you to get up, to endure, and to, to again look at the end of the race and, and pursue the life. <clears throat> There are, there are four characteristics of this narrow way that we see in this passage. First of all, it is, it's the only way that will lead to life. Jesus says in John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There is no other way. There is no other way to win the prize, to win the crown at the end of life. <clears throat> Jesus also makes it very clear that the path is difficult. He says here in this passage that the way is narrow and the gate is narrow. Later on in Matthew, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're going to run a marathon, it is impossible to win the race while dragging all your luggage along. You cannot take a big backpack like you do when you're hiking or something like that and expect to win the marathon. <clears throat> there are few that find it, but it's the only way that will lead to everlasting life. <clears throat> And so when we consider the race, I would like to look at this passage and we're going to, I'm going to actually be doing a series of messages on this passage, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, face, of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This morning, for the, for the message this morning, we're, I'd like to look specifically at the last phrase there in verse 1. It says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. <clears throat> now, at face value, when most of us, we, when we read the passage and we, we think of a race, 
most of us, we typically tend to think of a, of a sprint or, we, you know, a race is an all-out, um, there's speed involved and you're, you're going to win. Well, we want to win here, but the, I'd like to talk a little bit about the original Greek word here for the word race. That word is agon, A-G-O-N. And it is the root word where we get our English word agony or agonize. That same word is used in Timothy, 1 Timothy, well, several times in Timothy, it's translated fight. That, that same Greek word is translated fight. So it carries with it the idea that there's a conflict or there's struggle, there's, there's, there's agony. We're not going to... You're not going to win the race by taking a walk in the park. It's, it's, it will take all of our effort to, to focus on the crown, to focus on the prize in order to win the race. In, in first, first Timothy verse chapter I'm getting all confused. First Timothy six, verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The beginning, that first phrase, fight the good fight of faith, that first word fight is translated from the word agonizemia, if I can, I'm not sure if that's pronounced right, but that is another form of the word agon, that has a, a, a verb tense or an action. Um, it, it's, there's, it has the idea of action or struggle. So that, that phrase in that verse literally could be translate, translated, struggle the good fight or struggle the good agony, struggle the good conflict, fight. <coughs> So, if we go back to Hebrews here, that's the context that, that the writer is, is writing about here. Um, and let us run with endurance the agony or the struggle or the fight that is set before us. So what does it look like to endure in, in, in heaven's marathon, in this race of life? First thing I would like for us to recognize is that this race is not an attempt to be good enough. This, the, the crown that we're pursuing, we run the race in order to win the crown. The crown, the prize, is not our salvation. That has taken place when we got into the race. First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 27, Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. 
Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying, this is, I live my life this way because of the crown that I will receive. I'd like to, to give us a little bit of an idea what, what Paul's readers, Paul is writing to, to the Corinthians and give us a little bit of background here on, on, uh, on Corinth. The city of Corinth is located right here on the isthmus of, of uh, Greece here. And it was as you can see, located strategically in a very um, strategic location because all of the commerce would have to flow through this, this isthmus here. And not only that, the, all the sea traffic, this little strip right there was only about four miles, and so there was quite a bit of, uh, of sea traffic that would dock on one side and they would cart all the goods over to the other side rather than sailing all the way down around here. And so it was, there was a lot of, of commerce that took place there. Corinth was, a, was, a, um, it was an important city long before Jesus' time and had been controlled at various times by different Greece... Um, Persians and, and the Greece, and then about 150 years before Jesus, the Romans controlled it and did up till the collapse of the Roman Empire. So that's, that's, uh, that's where these people were in, in Corinth that Paul wrote to. And there's, there's a... Uh, As if we consider what Paul wrote here about winning the race and the crown, these people were familiar with that type of thing because every, I believe it was every four years, there would be what they called the Isthmian Games would be held in Corinth. And these games were next in importance to the Olympics. And I, if I have it right, they were held, the Olympics were held every four years as well. And then the Isthmian Games were held the two years in between. So if you were an athlete, every two years there were games that you could attend. I'd like to read a um, and read a portion, part of a chapter of a book that I was reading that really helped me to understand how what these what these how these people viewed what Paul was writing. And so I'd like to, to turn back to the calendar year of AD 53, and we're traveling with the Apostle Paul to the city of Corinth. We're going to visit these people in Corinth. It's the most splendid city of ancient Greece across the Isthmus, the narrow strip of land that joins southern Greece with the mainland. We are en route to the famous Isthmian Games, second only in importance to the Olympics.
It is here on the shores of the Mediterranean, near Corinth, that the Isthmian Games are held. These athletic games are a major event hosted every four years. As we arrive at the stadium, there are several sites that attract our attention, and we are immediately impressed with the massive throngs of people who are gathering from all corners of the Roman Empire. Thousands are descending upon Ismuth to witness this spectacle. We notice the enormous sports coliseum with its precisely cut marble blocks. We are struck by its perfectly constructed symmetrical rows. Once inside, we see that the emperor's velvet box is filled with the political dignitaries of the day. These games are a good place for the rich and the famous to be seen. We're inspired by the beautifully manicured track and field nestled in the center of the stadium. On the cinders, we see assembled some of the finest physical specimens of the day. They are the most popular figures of their era. <coughs> These athletes are the subject of poets. They're chiseled in marble. They're painted on canvas. Cesario complained they were afforded more fame than the conquering generals of Rome. The statues of past champions line the entrance leading to the stadium. It is the dream of every young boy to become one of these champions. The main feature is the five-event pentathlon, which consists of the long jump, the javelin and discus throws, wrestling, and the foot race. By far and away, the most popular of these events is the foot race. It is called the dramas, a race of one lap around the 600-yard track or a third longer than our current 400-yard tracks. The long-distance marathon is called the Agon. Down the field, we focus on a single athlete, a solitary runner. He has trained for 10 months under severe discipline and a very strict diet. He spent the last month here in Corinth working out under personal supervision from a race official. He has been it has been verified that he has been trained according to the rules. This runner jogs to the far end of the track and dips his hand in a bucket of blood. He swears that he has submitted to the rigorous training. Moreover, he agrees to abide by the rules. The long-awaited time for the race has now come. This determined runner now comes to the starting line where other competitors are waiting. Every muscle within him is taunt. Every nerve is tense. His mind is riveted on one thing, winning. Across the infield is the finish line. There, a ladder-like pedestal is strategically positioned, and on it hangs the most sought-after prize in all the Roman Empire, the victor's crown. This highly lauded laurel, the Stephanus, will be awarded to the winner of this race. 
It is for this crown that these athletes have diligently trained for months, many of them even for years. It is for this crown that they have pushed and punished their bodies to, to unfathomable limits. Only one runner will run, win the race, and nothing can be held back to secure it. Inside the stadium, we feel the electricity in the air. The atmosphere is crackling with excitement. The buzz of the crowd is highly charged. In the center of the field is a solitary object that leaves a mark on every Christian who enters this stadium. To the side of the track, near the finish line, is a wooden platform. This elevated stand is a rectangular mounted by a series of steps. Upon the platform rests a seat. Upon this seat sits the umpire, the presiding judge of the games. This seat is called in the Greek language the bima. It's the bima that every athlete must report to after he runs the race. Back at the starting line, the runners take their mark. With the start of the race, the world's fastest athletes explode out of the starting blocks. They resemble thoroughbreds coming out of the gate. As the race unfolds, it looks to be dead even as the runners head down the backstretch. They come around the final turn and sprint for the finish. A mere 100 yards lies between them and glory. Two runners push to the finish, neck and neck. The finish is too close to call. The crowd is silent in suspense. Every eye strains and focuses on the bima, awaiting the judge's decision. decision. Which runner will be awarded the wreath? The umpire's call will be final. As the athletes approach the judge's stand, we feel the sting of regret as the umpire disqualifies an undisciplined runner who violates the rules. We feel remorse as the judge passes over the other runners who lost the race. From these athletes, he withholds the prize. But we are thrilled by the vivid spectacle as the judge of the games takes the wreath of leaves and calls out the winner's name. When he does, the athlete steps forward and stands before the bima. The judge takes the wreath and crowns the head of the victorious champion. With this recognition, the stadium explodes into a deafening roar. The crowd spontaneously begins chanting his name. The applause is deafening. This one moment of glory makes all the countless months and years of training worthwhile. The new champion circles the track in a customary victory lap. He proudly holds aloft the cherished crown for all to see. So it's against this backdrop that Paul has penned these words. Do you not know that you run in a race? 
but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. They were running to receive a wreath. And we kind of think, a wreath? Why would we do that for a wreath? But that was important in that culture. That was, in, in fact, one of the emperors, Caesario, he complained that these athletes, these champions, the people paid more attention to them than they did to him. That was an insult. He was the empire of, emperor of the entire Roman, Roman uh, country. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So it's because of the imperishable crown that, we, that, that Paul's saying that I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. I'd like to look at a few more verses about running for a prize or a crown. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, again, this was written to the Corinthians by Paul, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the, as when, when these people read this, what do you think they thought of? They, the, the, the runner that is standing before the judgment seat, before the bema, He's, he's waiting to hear what the judge will say about how he has run the race. And again, this is not a judgment. This is not a judgment of whether you will be going to heaven or whether you will not be going to heaven. This is a judgment of the rewards that will be, that will be given to you based on how you have run the race. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For that day, speaking of that judgment day, when we will all appear before that judgment seat of God, will be declared because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he hath built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's works is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So the life that we live today counts for eternity. <clears throat> The, the things that we do okay I, I have a number of verses here I'd like to look at um, where Jesus speaks every reward I don't have them here in the PowerPoint um, how many times in the old te in the New Testament Jesus speaks a, a lot about a reward. Matthew chapter 5, he says this in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now who knows what verse 11 says? 
Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Then, he says in verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so also they persecuted the prophets. Later on in chapter 5, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? He's saying, love, love the people that, that curse you. Do good to your enemies. That's what will bring you the reward. If you just love those people that love you, there, there is no reward for you. Matthew 6, first six verses. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, what? There will be no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they will have a reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's, when, that's, that's what will happen when we all become in front of that judgment seat. You, the life you live, whether it's wood, hay, or straw, or whether it's silver and gold, will be revealed for all to see, and you will be rewarded according to the life that you have lived. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 5 and 6, And when you pray, again, same, same basically what he was just saying. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. They, they love to pray to receive the glory of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Those times that you have spent in your closet praying, those deeds, those things that we do that we think nobody, we, we do them not even thinking that there will be a reward. Those things will be exposed for all to see that day at that judgment seat and, and we will be rewarded according to how we have, to the gold, silver that we have invested. <clears throat> Same thing with fasting. Jesus says the same thing. Don't do it openly, but do it in secret. <clears throat> so I'd like to look now at a, at a few examples of, of how, how, how do we, what does it look like when we run this race with endurance? And the first example I want to look at is, is the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at what his testimony here in, in 2 Corinthians chapters 11, verses 23 to 28, where Paul is, is speaking about his credentials. And he says, Are they not ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, 
in prisons more frequently and deaths often. He had received so many stripes, he couldn't count them all. He was in prison often. He was involved with death. I'm, he had seen, I'm sure, many of his uh, close friends being persecuted. Some of them probably killed. Verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Five times he had received a lashing from, from the Jews. And often they, would, they were allowed 40 and they would often stop at 39. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Remember that time there in Corinth? He had been... Uh, been preaching and they, they dragged him out of town and stoned him and left him for dead. I, I can't imagine the, you know, how, what condition he must have been. They thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and day they had been lost at sea. He was in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of his own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and in perils among false brethren. I mean, is there any place where the man was safe? Everywhere he went, there were people looking for his head. In weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. There, Paul had experienced more adversary and trials than many of us put together. He says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. In spite of all the things that came against him, he was still concerned about, about the churches. <clears throat> and then this is what he writes at the end of his life to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, and here this word is the same Greek word, agon, I have finished the race. The word race here is, is, a, is a different word that implies actually running. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is, this is here we see, at the end of Paul's life, we get a glimpse into what has compelled him to endure five beatings, five whippings from the Jews, three beatings, being stoned, being lost at sea. This is what has compelled him to endure, to, to keep on running the race. <clears throat> he says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. <clears throat> like to go back to our, our scripture there in Hebrews. 
One more example I'd like to look at, and that is the example of Jesus. This is what the writer here is asking us to do. When we run this race with endurance, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now listen to what Jesus did. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, this is for us, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He endured the cross. Consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. <coughs> Jesus himself has asked us to, to follow him. This is, this is the writer is, the, of Hebrews here is pointing us to as we, as we run the race, to, to follow after Jesus. And so I'd like to, in closing, I'd like to just consider what Jesus has endured of his own free will for us. When he began his ministry, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness and yet he endured. When his own family didn't understand what he was doing and thought he was crazy, he endured. When his early followers also misunderstood him, he endured. When those followers began to fall away one after another and no longer followed him, he endured. When the Pharisees told lies about him, he endured. When those Sadducees convined in order to trap him, he endured. When Judas betrayed him for 30 measly pieces of silver, he endured. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and his sweat was like great drops of blood as he pled with his father, facing the cross the next day, he endured. As the temple guard came and arrested him in the garden, he endured. As all of his eleven disciples scattered like mice from a sinking ship, he endured. As he went through the mocking and the suffering of six illegal trials through that night and early into the next morning, he endured. As he watched Peter with cursing, deny that he ever knew him, he endured. As he heard the crowds chanting, crucify him, crucify him, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he endured. As he experienced the trial before Pilate and saw Pilate wash his hands and give, over, give him over as an innocent man to the crowd to be crucified, he endured. When the soldiers mocked him, spat upon him, slapped him with their hands and said, Prophesy who hit you, he endured. When they thrust a crown of thorns upon his brow in excruciating pain, he endured. When a Roman soldier raised his whip and filleted the flesh off the back of the Lord Jesus, during that time he endured. When he carried his cross outside the city gate, he endured. 
And as they laid him upon that cross, and they nailed spikes into his hands and feet, and lifted him up between heaven and earth to die as a common criminal in shame, he endured. As the two thieves who were crucified with him flung their curses in his face, he endured. As the callous crowd around them called out, mocking, Come down if you're the Messiah, he endured. As Satan came against him with all his forces of hell on the cross, he endured. As God himself caused foul sewers of all our sin to be emptied upon him in one In one rushing, roaring, filthy flood of the cross, in the midst of it all, he endured. Jesus endured all the way to death, and he cried, It is finished to tell us, I've paid it in full. This morning, I would like to, I don't know where you're at in this race, but I would like to encourage you to consider him who endured with such hostility from sinners as myself. Let's pray and then James, I'll let you close. (coughs) Father, this morning we pause. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have loved us. Father, that you endured on the cross, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as we leave here, that you would, that we could, because of the prize that you have set before us, the crown that you have promised us, that we could run with endurance. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.